you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. We're going to be in James chapter 1 today. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there today. Uh, Welcome. Glad you're here. Glad you're tuning in. We say this every week. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. And we strive to do that through four different values. Try to practice love with everyone always. Give more than what makes sense. To chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives. And anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. That we're striving for. Just a couple announcements for you today. Uh, Number one is we're in the book of James, and we're going to be there for a while. And so we're inviting you to join us in what we're calling the James Challenge. And that challenge is that for the next 12 weeks, uh, would be 11 now, that we would read the book of James together as a church, which means there are five chapters in the book of James that would be that you would read those chapters every week. Five chapters every week. There's great practical wisdom in James. And so we're inviting you to do that. You You can actually... Text us the word James to our, cell, our, not our cell phone number, we don't have a cell phone here. We have an office phone that many of you don't have office phones anymore, but we do, and it's 824-2252. You can text James to that, and we'll actually send you some encouragement during the week to keep going in those things. Second is we are heading back to one service, and we're going to do that on October 11th, uh, so you can make note of that. We're going to move back to 1030. Uh, man, we were really loving the rhythm that we're in pre-COVID, where we had our Sunday groups and our 1030 service, and we were growing in community. Our numbers in our groups were growing, and we want to get back there, so know that we'll have service at 1030 on the 11th. We're not going to have groups yet. That's hopefully beginning of November. We'll get there, and so there will be children's and ministry activity at 1030. And I would just say, you know, just as I think of the season, I don't know if it's eight months now, you know, in the beginning, like, not coming to church was sort of, and that was hard. That was hard, and, and being online was sort of gratifying to that, I don't know, it was a longing to be together. But I think over time, maybe we've gotten a little comfortable just being at home and, man, it's nice to watch church in your pajamas, isn't it? And watch, eat waffles. Uh, But I would just say that, you know, encouraging to you who are online right now, like, like church is about being here and it's about being together. And those things are good and they have their purpose, but it doesn't replace this. And so maybe it's time for some of us who are at home. Look, there are health concerns, and I want you to follow those health concerns. But maybe for some of us it's been a comfort thing. And maybe it's time just to get back in the body, right? Maybe it's time to to come back to church. So just want to challenge you with that. All right, well, let's head into James here. We're in week three. Last week we talked about trials, and we said that those trials that test us have purpose in our life, to create steadfastness. Today, we're looking at trials again, and we're going to look at the encouragement that we find in the midst of our trials. And so let's read through James 1. We're going to look at verse 9. It'll be on the screen. Feel free to follow on your Bibles or on your phone. 9 through 18. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, "'Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation "'and the rich in his humiliation.'" 
because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you today. Uh, Lord, Holy Spirit, we, we just ask that you would move in our hearts today, uh, that you would use these words, that we would come underneath of them, that you would teach us good wisdom through them, and that you would help us to find conviction in our hearts to, to, to follow these things with greater wisdom. Give us encouragement today in our trials, Lord, as we walk through this. Uh, we love you, Jesus, and pray this in your amazing name. And so James has three paragraphs here, and, and one of the th- things that we said is, interesting about James, is it's, it's, it's maybe the first New Testament book that was ever written. And it's very Jewish. It's written in a very Jewish manner. And so it can feel like you're reading the book of Proverbs. If you ever read the book of Proverbs, there are these just good, I call them nuggets, just wisdom, these little nuggets of just goodness. And they seem to be disconnected sometimes. And so you can read these first, these paragraphs here, and you can read things like James talks about the low and the rich person. He's talking about wealth and status. And then the next paragraph, he's talking about like temptations versus trials. And then in the last paragraph, you read, God gives good and perfect gifts, and those good and perfect gifts comes from a good God. And so these three paragraphs can seem like three distinct, valuable, rich in theology thoughts for us of faith to take in value. And that's true. They are. I mean, Paul writes to Timothy, his beloved Timothy, Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, writes that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, correcting, reproving, and instructing. And so, yes, there is rich wisdom in, in just these paragraphs in a standalone version, but they are even more impactful when you realize that they're connected. And what connects them is the presence and the purpose of trials in our lives. And so when we read James, and I'm hopeful that you've read James, we can read chapter 1, and it can flow in a way that it makes it feel like what the chapter is saying is that you can count it joy in the midst of your trials because they increase steadfastness in you. And what is joy in the trial is not the trial itself, but the God that's behind the trial. And so make sure that you don't do this, and make sure that you do this. And if you endure, if you persevere, then at the end of it, there are good and perfect gifts that are going to be given to you. And that is true, right? That wouldn't be unbiblical to read that and say that, look, in our endurance, God is going to reward us later in the life, that good things will come to us according to God's knowledge and His will. But that's not really all that James is saying. He's not saying like, hey, this is about endurance and wait till you endure and then you're going to get perfect and good gifts. 
What James is saying actually here is that the good and perfect gift is actually the trial. That it's actually the trial. That trials are good gifts from God. So that is why James can write, I count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. That's why today he writes like, let the low man boast in his highness, his exaltation. That's why he can say, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, steadfast under trials, for he will receive the crown of life. And the reason that trials are good gifts, as hard as it is for us to understand that, is that there is a desire in this present age to acquire more, more comfort, more pleasure, more stuff. And it often blinds us from adoring what we already, by faith, possess. I'm going to repeat that again. The reason that trials are good gifts is because there is a desire in this present age to acquire more things, stuff, and pleasure that blind us from adoring what we already, by faith, possess and own. And so there's this man, his name is William Randolph Hearst. Uh, Maybe you've heard of him in your history class. He was a publisher of many newspapers. Hearst was an eccentric character, much more eccentric than my outfit today. He loved artwork, and so he was just a huge collector, had vast collections of it. And there was this object, this art piece that he wanted, he adored it, and he hired an agent to go find it. And so the agent, for months, researched and traveled to try to find the object of Hearst's desire, this magnificent piece of art. And to Hearst's delight, the agent came back months later and said, we found it. We found it. And what is even sweeter is you don't even have to pay a dime to buy it. And the reason that Hearst didn't have to pay a dime to buy it was because that he already owned it. He already owned it. It was in a warehouse, locked away, covered, and undisplayed. I think that we are not unlike William Randolph Hearst that we have a treasure, all of us believers in Christ, that we already own, that we already possess, but we far too often forget about it. And maybe, just maybe, trials are a gift to us to reveal to us what we already have. And in revealing what we already have, that we might find steadfastness in our trial. That's what we want to walk in today. That's what we want to discover today in the book of James. And so James starts off this text by talking about a low person and a rich person. And he says to the low person, low person, boast in your exaltation. And rich person, boast in your humiliation. This isn't future tense. This is present. So what James is saying is that low person, you're high. You're high. And rich person, you need to get low. James is writing this to a group of Christians that are scattered across the Mediterranean Sea. In the time frame of 80, 46, 47, 48 AD, this is 15 to 18 years after the death of Christ. And he is saying to those in persecution, you're high. Boast in your exaltation. And that's crazy. And he says to the rich, boast in your humiliation. And this would be absolutely contradictory to the power and the structure of that time and today. Because in that time and today, you don't boast in your poverty. You boast in your richness. 
your, your accomplishments, your positions, your possessions. Just saying, James says, lowly person, boast in your highness. And what does he tell, what does he say about the lowly person? What does he call them? Brother. This is a term of endearment for those in Christ. Brother, sister in Christ, we're a part of the family. There's no such title next to the rich person. To the rich person, he says that your pursuits will pass away like a flower in the grass. They will fade away. They will be beautiful for a moment, and then they'll be scorched by the sun, that the rich person will fade away and wither in their pursuits to get more, to have more. And so look, this is a sobering reality for us alive today who are raised up and trained in the systems and the structures and the value and the power of the present age. It is a sobering reality that we have to remember today and in the future that the kingdom of God has a different temperament than the one that we live in today. And it is easy to get carried away in one's pursuits, to have more, to gain more, to be able to do what I want more often. But James' words are a cautionary tale to not get enamored with a flower that fades away because it is temporal. It lasts for just a moment. And so James teaches us that our God is not partial to the rich. He is impartial. You cannot woo God by your positions, your achievements, your wealth, nor can you cause God to run away because of your past regrets. God is not, and his love is not predicated on pride or position or production, but faith is found in the ability to be humble, to see that I actually need God that I'm dependent on him. And so James says to you, blessed you who are in a lowly position, brother, sister, keep going. Like keep enduring because your endurance will be worth it. James is talking about a blessing here that, that is called the crown of life. And what he is saying is that those who persevere, you will be rewarded, that it will be in the next life, that life will be better than anything that you had on this earth. That everything that you gave up, that everything you abstained in, that everything you moderated in will be given back to you with greater joy in the future coming kingdom. And so when you read this, it can read a lot like James is talking about delayed gratification, delayed satisfaction. That he's saying, hey, just endure because there's something better off. It's sort of this idea that you can convey this way. Uh, Say you woke up one day and you know at dinner time you're going to eat at your favorite restaurant and you're reasonable and rational people in here. I'm a reasonable and rational person. And so say that your favorite restaurant is Skyline Chili, which just makes a lot of sense. And so you would go about your day knowing that I'm eating here later. And so you would abstain from eating what you want in the now because you're going to have a feast later. This is sort of the idea that James is conveying. There's something better in the future. But listen, what James is not saying is tough luck to you in the now. He's not saying tough luck to you in the now. You're just going to have to find better self-discipline. You're going to have to find greater grit. You've got to make the right decisions and restraints in this life to get what you want in the next. That's not what he's saying. Yes, there is something better in the future. But faithful follower of Jesus... You will not get there through greater grit and self-discipline and self-determination. You will get there with a fuller adoration of what you already possess by faith. 
And so Jesus, or James writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in trials, for he will receive the crown of life. And what is predicated, or what comes before the steadfastness and before the crown of life is what James writes here, which God has promised to those who love him. And so the ability to endure and be steadfast in this life isn't even about you. It's not about you. It's about becoming aware that through faith in Christ, I have in this moment everything that I need to live and be satisfied. Our whole life in loving him becomes more about believing that he is lovelier and better than everything else in my life. It's about learning to be satisfied and sustained with what is already ours by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, yes, there is something better later, but friends, there is something even better right now. And far too often, we're, we're William Randolph Hearst. And we take this prized possession of Jesus Christ, that gift that was given to us, and we put it away and we forget about it as if he's one to be put away. And we say, well, I like Jesus because he's helpful in my dying. Because when I die, if I believe in Jesus, I'm going to get heaven, but he's not useful in my living. And so I check the box and I live the way that I want to, knowing that at the end of this, I'm going to get heaven because I have faith. That's, James is saying, you have something better in this life right now. And he goes on in verse 18. He writes, James writes, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so what James is writing to these assemblies of Christians around the Mediterranean at this time is to say that, look, look, you are the first of many to come. You are the first of many to come. And so endure in this moment, endure in this trial, because look, at one point, you didn't even realize that you needed the gift of salvation. You, you didn't want the gift that God gave you in salvation. So you remember his good gift that you once didn't want, the word of truth, the gospel, that he redeemed you, that he rescued you, that this divine act of love came to serve you, that you have right standing in front of the Father through grace by faith. And he's speaking to them at that moment, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today is that we should remember at one time that there was a gift that we didn't even consider to be good. At one time in our life, we didn't want the gospel. At one of the times, we didn't know we needed Jesus. But our Father is faithful to give us the gifts that we need, not the gifts that we want. And what is true of the gift of salvation is true of the gift of trials that test us to strengthen us. And so James is pointing us wonderfully to this wisdom that within you and I is not the wisdom or the ability to look at our present currents and undertones and reality and happenstances and circumstances and decide whether they're good or bad. Like we don't possess the wisdom to judge this current circumstance good or bad because at one point we didn't know that we needed the gospel. What is better for you is to put all of your energy in focusing on the giver of those gifts, the unchangeable Father who is without shadow or variation, eternally good. Get your eyes off the moment and remember the one who gave you life. Look past your circumstances to the extraordinary goodness and love of God who gave you good things when you didn't know. 
Love God over your circumstances. We spend so much of our lives trying to find the meaning behind what's happening in our lives. James says, quit playing that game. Focus on the one that's over and beyond and above your circumstances. You cannot decipher God by looking through the happenstances of your life. Decipher your happenstances and circumstances by looking through a good God. Maybe I could make it more understandable by saying this. One of the boundaries that I have in my life that I try to keep as much as I can is is to not use text message to talk about important, deep, emotional things. And there are good reasons for us to not do those. Maybe you already know those reasons. Uh, The reason for me is that when you put words on a screen, they're they're benign, they're neutral, right? And so, like, even, like, these words that I write here on this paper every week, like, I put the tone in them. Like, there's no, it's it's neutral. Now, there are some of you who text in all caps. Like, that's crazy, all right? Let's just be honest, this gets a little annoying. I'm not sure if you're yelling at me all the time, all right? So some of you use all caps, you use a lot of exclamation points, okay? Those aren't neutral anymore, they're just loud, right? So maybe you've been in a room and you've had somebody talk to you about, like, a conversation they had via text with somebody, and that conversation goes like this. Maybe you've been here before. The person who you're talking to about the conversation says, well, I was just like, I texted this person. I was like, well, I can't make it into work today. And then what do we do? Here's what we do as people. We ascribe the most negative, worst version of that person that we possibly can onto their text messages. And so we'll say, I was just like calm, and it's like, I can't go into work. And you know what they said? Well, what do you mean you can't come into work today? as if we've ever experienced that person talking to us in that manner in our lives. We're terrible at impersonations. Let's just be honest. We ascribe the worst, most negative thing to people in their words far too often. Far too often. What proves so hard for us is to read words on a screen and layer them with the right context, the right tone, and the right intention. What if that person was really caring and just said, oh, why can't you make it into work today? Have you, it's just, it's crazy. We read things with our own negative sinful bent. We read things in an order to be right, to be justified. But listen, what is harder and better is to read assuming the best and read those things by what I've experienced and believe this person to be. And so when my wife texts me, I have to work on this, right? I have to do this every day. I believe that my wife loves me more than anybody in this room, anybody in this world. And so when I read her words, I read them with the understanding that my wife loves me more than anybody, and is completely in love with me. And I don't need to take those words as rude and hurtful. I can receive her words from what I believe true about her. And I think in a roundabout way, James isn't talking about text messages, but he's saying that that is true of the trials that you have in life, the trials that test us in our life. We often judge them based upon our own wisdom, our own opinions, our own desires. But what is re- better is to remember the one who sent them and his character and who he is. That he is good, 
that he is without shadow, that he is unchangeable, that there is no deficit in our God, that he is eternally good. And that is not affected, his character is not affected by what you're currently going through. And so this becomes great encouragement that anchors us in the midst of our trials, that they don't become temptations that lead us into sin. That above this trial is a God who is infinitely good and I can trust it even though I don't understand it. That proves to be good encouragement that anchors us so that our trials don't become temptations. And so James writes here that let no one say that I'm tempted, that he is tempted, that I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil, and he himself tempts no one. For each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What James is saying is that, brother and sister, God is never going to lead you away from himself. God is never going to put a trial in your life that's going to lead you away from himself. The word word trials and temptation are actually the same Greek word. They're just interpreted differently based on what version of the Bible that you're reading. And so what James is not saying, he's not saying like, hey, you've got to decipher whether this thing in your life is a trial or a temptation. Like I got Oreo cookies over here and that's tempting because I want to eat the whole thing. But maybe it's not a temptation, maybe it's a trial. Maybe I should just have one and see how good that goes. God's not saying you've got to figure out the trial or the temptation, but rather that in the trial, there can be temptations to pursue what is ungodly and selfish. And God never wills us to sin. He never designs his trials to make us sin. His purposes of trials are to strengthen us, never to bring us into sin. So no one can say, well, God made me do it. Nor can anybody say, well, the devil made me do it. We are all responsible in our fallen nature for our own desires. We all have responsibility in the midst of the trials of our life to trust God and not to choose what is sinful and ignore what is good and right and beautiful by God in His way and His standards. We cannot say that God allowed me to sin. We have to let We have let the desire, the sinful, selfish desire of our heart lead us there. And it was no one else's fault but our own. Our desire in this life, in this fallen world, in this fallen version of myself, lends itself to me leaning towards sin. And every trial in my life is an opportunity for me to trust God over myself, to trust God over myself, to trust his kingdom over my little kingdom. And I think it's important to sow into this conversation that when we talk about trials and hardships and testing, that some of the times we think of those things just as like struggles and sufferings. But trials can be good things that come our way that we ascribe as, oh, that's a good thing. Everything, good or bad, is a trial, a test from God to either trust Him by faith or trust in ourselves. And so if we get a promotion at work, that seems like something to celebrate, right? But if we love God, we take that to God in his wisdom. And we say, oh, Lord, I'm getting a promotion here. What's your wisdom here? Because that could be a trial. But there could be a temptation out of our own desire in that trial to move ourselves away from our home in greater capacity and ignore our primary call to be one with our spouse and to be the primary disciple maker of our children. And so, yes, that is good. 
But there is a temptation in our desire that is bad. And so we could get a raise at work. And then we could celebrate, that's a good thing. But have we taken it to the Lord because we love Him and wisdom? Because maybe we can't handle that raise. Maybe that raise is just going to teach me to serve myself rather than serving the Lord. There is a temptation present in every trial. Not because God puts it there, but because we do. We put it there. And sometimes then we can wrongly accuse God and curse Him because things aren't going our way. That we're not getting things that we wanted. We're not, we're not getting things that we like. But have we ever considered that we might be the one that put ourselves there? That we might be the one that followed after our own desires, not after God's flourishing wisdom? Look, all of us, every one of us, including myself, are tempted in this life to find sufficiency, sufficiency in something other than Jesus Christ. We want to please ourselves. And James is clear that following that desire will produce sin, and sin, full-blown, will produce death. It is not flourishing wisdom, and it is not life. And so to wrap all of this up, I think what James does really well for us, look, you don't need to preach James. Like, you just need to read James. James is just incredible. But what James does for us is he gives us language to understand the trials in our lives better. You know, it won't be a surprise to many of you in this room that, that I have walked in probably three different seasons of my life where I've been to a counselor in, in, in an extent, a great, a long extent, to try to figure out who I am, why I do some of the things that I do, what the motivations of my heart really are. And there was a day that I was with my counselor. And he said, Steve, do you know that you're a self-preserver? I was like, no, I've never heard that term before. So he said, you're, you're a self-preserver. And let me tell you what that means. It means that you try to control everything that you can in your world so you don't get hurt. I said, oh. My counselor gave me a language to understand my life. And from that moment, I've been able to look at my actions and say, there I am again. I'm trying to control this. Or that's why I'm getting angry, because I can't control that. It's a language that is helpful for me. And in the same way that self-preservation was helpful for me to understand my life, James's wisdom on trials that test us is the language that we need in this life to understand. That trials, trials, and the twist of our lives, all of them reveal to us what we can't see. And what we can't see often is that I'm imperfect, that I'm incomplete, that I don't know fully what's good for me. I don't know what's going on with me. I can't fix myself. The trials and understanding trials as testings that strengthen us help us see our need for Jesus to a greater extent. Trials reveal that I'm incapable of being self-sufficient that I can't fix what's wrong in my life, and that the only person that I can count on is the infinitely, eternally good God who's above and beyond and over everything. James gives us great language. Our God does not change. There's no shadow, no defect. He's per perfectly good, and we can trust that. We can't trust how we interpret or perceive the trials in our lives. What we can do is trust the goodness of the one that allows them. And it's because of that that I can boast in my lowness. 
that I can boast in my weakness, that I can boast in my humiliation. I have something better later, but I have something infinitely better right now. Then I want to tell you a story about an old music teacher. He was in his class, and one of the students in his class looked at him and he said, hey, teacher, give us good news today. And this old music teacher went across the room, he grabbed his tuning fork, and he hit it on the side of his desk, and he said, you hear that? That's a G. That's a G. It's a G today. It was a G 5,000 years ago, and it will be a G 10,000 years from now. The soprano upstairs who's singing right now is singing out of tune. The tenor across the hallway is missing their mark. And then he struck it again. But this, this will always be a G. And that is good news today. The good news for us today is that our God is eternally, infinitely, unchangeably good. And he has never had and never will have more goodness than he has right now. He is unchangeably good. He stands as the sun in a spotless, cloudless sky, radiating unbrokenly goodness on his creation. He is without variation or shadow. He is pure and rich and good, and it doesn't change. And we can take great encouragement in the midst of all of the trials in our lives that that remains true, even my friend, in this moment in your life, whoever you are who can't see the sun for the, in this moment, he is infinitely good. Today is a great day to take stock of what you possess, to take account of what you really own. Those of faith you own, an infinitely good God who's above everything. And today, if you take account of your heart and, and you don't know where your relationship with Jesus or God stands, there's never a better day to start talking about your relationship with somebody than today. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and just honestly struggle with getting past trying to decipher whether things are good or bad in our life and, and living our life just on the, the roller coaster of interpreting whether things are good or bad. Lord, help us to get off those tracks. Father, will you help us with your spirit to see beyond all of the circumstances in our life that on the other side of them is a good, infinitely wise, unchangeable, without shadow, no variations, perfect God who is above them all that gives us gifts that we don't always know are good for us, but gives us gifts that are perfect and good because we need them, not because we want them. And so, Lord, we ask this humbly through the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.